And we're looking in chapter 4. Proverbs number 4. Luke chapter number 12. My joy to greet you again this evening. Special joy to sense the Lord's presence as He is pleased to manifest His presence this evening. In His presence is fullness of joy. I often say when the preacher is away from home, he can call home and his wife can about take his spiritual temperature. She said, last evening you sound like you're having a good time. I said, I am. <laughs> she said, you even sound like they're helping you. And she said she is praying for that, that I'd get some help this week. <laughs> I was bragging on your, the spirit of your church and the good music here. And the Lord's presence is free. I said, I guess I'd sum it up with one word, reality. It's beyond uh, just a form and a lot of places. I don't mean to be critical, but just symbolic and form and routine and going through emotion. But it's wonderful when the reality of His presence is on the scene. So I'm, I'm grateful. My wife sends her gratitude for you helping me this week. I have called home and my wife would say to me, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I've said to her, pray for me. I, I'm sure I'm not called to preach. I wonder if I'm saved. Amen. <laughs> I'll tell you, you get in places like that sometimes. There's wonder, you know. I was reading the verse, and I'm going through the Gospel of John, and I read when yesterday, and they came where the Lord had been. He left, and the next expression said they took shipping. I've been some places I wanted to ship out, amen? <laughs> Take off. But uh, when I'm around a place where the Lord is manifesting His presence, I feel like Simon must have felt on the Mount of Transfiguration. He said, let's build three tabernacles and stay a while. Amen. <laughs> so that's, that's my experience here with you. I'm grateful God permitted me and you invited me and the welcome that I sense here. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. Our Lord is talking to His own in this passage we're looking at tonight. And He brings this word to the heart of His disciples. After giving a warning, he gave a double warning. He said, take heed, beware. Verse 15 of chapter 12. He's speaking to a large audience of people. Verse 1 said they were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people. We understand from that indeed is a large audience, a multitude of people. You begin to read that our Lord was taking advantage of this opportunity with this huge audience. He talks to them about such weighty matters. Talks to them about being genuine in their lives, getting rid of that which was phony. Don't follow the example of Pharisees and lay aside uh, hypocrisy. And he talked to them about the providence of God. He talked to them about heaven. He talked to them about hell. And right in the midst of that weighty message, a man rudely interrupts him, just stands up and speaks out. Verse 13. And he said to him, Master, he's addressing him as teacher. 
Speak to my brother that he had divided the inheritance with me. Evidently, his brother's about to beat him out of his inheritance. And uh, the Lord, notice how direct he is back to this man who interrupts him. He just says to him, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? In that sense, he means an arbitrator, a referee, one that settles a dispute. And oftentimes rabbis, they, they function in that area. And uh, this man recognizes our Lord's authority as he's speaking, and perhaps he'll intervene for him. And so he interrupts him, but the Lord then, after speaking to the man directly, spoke to him. Then he turns around and speaks to them again, verse 15. And uh, he brings, he gives a parable about the subject the man's brought up. This man was eaten up with covetousness. And so the Lord says, that's not how you evaluate a man's life. Your, your life doesn't consist in the abundance of the things you can stack up on this earth. And he talked about a man who he felt that's where life really was. So he's got his barns full. It's harvest time and his barns are still full. So he's going to build bigger barns. And here he is in that night boasting about what he's going to do. And he... He says, I'm going to live many years, verse 19. Note the contrast. He didn't even have one day left. This night, thy soul shall be required of thee. Our Lord just finished talking about that truth and illustrating it in a powerful way. Pictures a man who feels he has a sure lease on life. Feels like he's his own source. He meets all of his needs. And having said that, he, he says to his own, therefore, verse 22, because of what he just said, that points back to what he's talking about. Therefore, I say to you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. The life is more than meat and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn. And God feedeth them. How much more are you better than the fowls? And which of you with taking thought can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take your thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothe the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be you of a doubtful mind. For all of these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But rather seek you the kingdom of God. And all of these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now in the book of Proverbs, for a verse tonight, Proverbs chapter 4. I just lift out one verse for our consideration. Solomon, <clears throat> right into the youth of his day in particular, he says, keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it, that is, out of a heart, are the issues of life. 
Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of the heart are the, do you let me paraphrase it? The springs, the sources of life. Literally, he says, keep your heart with all vigilance. And above all that you guard, for out of it flow the springs of life. My mind goes back. It did this afternoon as I pondered this. Some 32 plus years ago, I was with a family at uh, Indiana University Hospital, the big hospital in Indianapolis, called a different name then. And uh, we'd been there all day. Surgery commenced that morning at 6 a.m. 33-year-old man, heart surgery. I pondered this afternoon, and as I was saying to the Lord, thanking Him for the blessing that family was and has been, at least members of it for years to this preacher. I was reminded that he is one of the most Christ-like men I think God has ever let me be around in 35 years or so in the ministry. Serious, to say the least, very critical heart surgery. Eleven hours later, a team of doctors were there. Two of them came out and one doing the talking said to the family, I was there with them. He said, you've asked us to be up front with you. From our perspective, from our standpoint, there's not much hope. He said, called his name, said he had so much going for him, but his heart was so diseased. And then he said something I haven't forgotten. He said, as you know, as the heart goes, so goes the total person. I hadn't forgotten that. Of course, he was referring to our physical life, how that our physical is so dependent upon the heart as the heart goes, so goes the total person. Solomon picks up his pen and there's imagery behind this. He sees in his mind a little village of people and he sees an enemy that is attempting to destroy the village of people and their attempt would be first to poison the, their water supply. And as Solomon picks up his pen and begins to write as they would place a, a guard over the spring of water, their water source, they were so dependent upon that spring, of course. And I repeat that enemy, his attempt would be just to pollute, just to poison, uh, just to get to the spring, and then he succeeded in destroying the people. And Solomon, with that in mind, he picks up his pen and the Spirit of God leading him. He says, just like that guard out there, walking guard, staying awake, staying alert, with diligence, with vigilance, really. He said, you do your heart like that. Because if the enemy poisons the spring, if the enemy gets to the heart, if the enemy succeeds tonight in getting into the area of me that this verse talks about, I tell you, he has succeeded in destroying my effectiveness in the service of God. 
And so here in God's infallible word is the Spirit of God leading the wise men of the Old Testament to say to us tonight, Oh, above everything you guard, you be sure that you guard your heart. You keep your heart. Now, of course, he's not talking about this organ that we're so dependent on to live. You understand that. He's talking about an inner person. Sometimes the heart and mind is used interchangeably. The Bible says that a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. We normally think in the thinking process is the mind, but heart and mind, heart covers that area. Heart covers the area, the mental part of me, where I think. And if the enemy gets into that area of me tonight and pollutes my mind, he has succeeded in destroying my effort to try to serve God. Not only does the heart cover the mental part of me, but it covers the emotional part. Not only where I think, but where I feel. In that area of the emotions tonight. That also covers the heart. And a lot of us, perhaps we're not aware how vital it is that we guard that part of us. You cannot let a wrong emotion, negative emotion begin to control you. Bitterness, ill will, unforgiveness, jealousy, envy, pride. All that stuff begin to get in your heart and the enemy is constantly, if you're not on guard, he's walking and he's going back and forth. And when the guard is down, he begins to put a little of that poison of envy or jealousy or bitterness or pride or ill will. That's in the heart. The heart not only involves the mental part where I think, involves the, 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 the emotional part where I feel. But also the heart involves the, the volitional part where I decide in there where decisions are made. And I, I, I meet a lot of people and they'll say to me, Preacher, I knew that I shouldn't have done that, but I didn't have the strength, the ability. I couldn't say no. You know what has happened? The enemy has polluted the heart. Well, they know what's right, but they can't do right. They know they shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have gone there. But somehow, I mean, they weren't able to be decisive and decide and have courage and strength to do what they know they should have done. And the enemy, oh, he's constantly trying to get in into the area of my thinking, in the emotional part where I feel, into the volitional part, try to paralyze my will and make me powerless and, and succumb to temptation and that which is wrong and have no moral courage to stand up in an immoral age and say no to that which is wrong. Well, he's saying, guard your heart. Keep your heart. I said to him, if you'd let me be open with you just a moment. And I said to him this afternoon and tried to out of my heart. I said, Lord... He bringing this text back to my heart. I wasn't aware then that he even wanted me to preach from it. It was uh, brought to my attention in my in my devotional time. This truth, and and I looked at it again, and I said to him, Lord, there's some areas that I'm going to ask you and go on record this afternoon asking you to help me in at least three, four particular areas to be alert, to walk God. And I'm going to ask you to share with me tonight. Keep your heart. What kind of heart? I entitled this simple message, The Right Kind of Heart. 
If you're going to keep your heart tonight, you're going to guard your heart. You're going to keep that which is wrong out of it so that uh, the sources of life, the spring. You see, your heart affects every area of your life. If he gets into the heart area and begins to pollute the heart, it's going to show up in every relationship you have and in every area of your life, you will be affected because he succeeded in getting into the heart. What kind of heart? Let's just visit some verses where God's word talks to us about our heart tonight. Two of them's in the Psalm, Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is such a helpful, insightful Psalm. It's a Psalm of David. David, a man after God's own heart. David uncovers his heart in this psalm. David opens his heart. David's crying out to God out of a broken heart. And the summary verse really is verse 17 of Psalm 51. And notice what David says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God. Thou wilt not despise what kind of heart is the right kind of heart? I suggest to you tonight, first, it's a broken heart. If I'm to guard my heart and to keep a broken heart before God, I'm to keep out the opposite of what I'm talking about here. Hardness. Oh, that attitude of self-will. Have to be right all time. Have to have my way. You students know the background of Psalm 51, Psalm 32. Those two psalms was given to us at the same time about the same experience of this man after God's own heart. Psalm 32 has David saying, when I kept silent, that is when he wouldn't confess, when he wouldn't open up, when he was not broken, he said, talking to God, thy hand was heavy upon me. David said, my moisture's turned to the drought of summer. David lost his song. He lost his testimony. David became dry. David became defeated. And here's David uncovering his heart. And I repeat, it's a summary verse. He says, Lord, a broken heart, a contrite heart, thou will not despise. Oh, the opposite of that is true. God, instead of low rating and treating with contempt, God puts a premium on this attitude in a man's inner being. I'm talking about where self-will is put down, where ego, where pride is shattered, where we quit having our own will and way, where we just call it by its right name and open up and quit covering up and say, Lord, I've sinned. It's my sin. It wasn't my wife. It wasn't my brother. Lord, it's me. That's difficult for us proud humans to do. There's something about all of us. Oh, we're so full of self and ego we like to blame circumstances or people or something else. But David, oh, he went for probably a year or better. He went with that heavy hand of feeling depressed like he was in a vice and he lost his song, lost his joy. David lost his touch with God. And over a year, I repeat, he's like that, but now he's uncovering and he's broken. Somebody said the other evening, Brother Hurd, what is just what is a broken heart? He said, that's something we usually pray for God to remove from us. Well, in the sense he was talking about, I'm not talking about that. He's talking about bereavement and grief. When you have been deprived from a loved one in suffering loss and there is bereavement and that's proper. And sometimes we call that and that's a proper term. It's a broken heart. 
But that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about grief or bereavement. He's talking about brokenness in the sense, uh, if I had something that's breakable tonight, would break it. You know what the primary, I mean, the, what the primary characteristic of something broken? It's open. And David is talking about just being open, being honest, being humble enough to open himself. And it's confession, if you please. David said 11 times, I wrote them down right there in this Bible I'm breaking in that I hadn't preached much from. 11 personal pronouns in four verses. He's not blaming anyone. He said, it's my sin. I'm guilty. Have mercy on me. Are you willing tonight to say to him, search me? David prayed later, search me, O God. Try me, Lord. Would you be willing to pray that tonight? I mean, the implication is if we pray that, it'd be better not to pray that if God begins to search and we don't do anything about it. You'd be in worse condition spiritually than you were and you came in here. You invite a holy God to put a searchlight on you and He begins to reveal something that disturbs us. And most of the time it does. But your friend of mine was in a conference not long ago and they'd ask us to entitle the conference The Inner Life of the Church and won't us just talk like I'm talking tonight. Uh, he's a man of God. It was a privilege and an honor and a joy to share the platform with him those three days. He said something I hadn't forgot. He said, Brother Hurt, when I really got serious about a walk with God and just quit playing church, he said, I, best of my ability, lock, stock, and barrel, I gave up and said, Lord, just go ahead and search me. And I made that statement that night. He said, I said, Lord, search me. He said, you know, a day or two it was rough and I thought I'd arrived. <laughs> but he said, it's been like peeling an onion. <laughs> you get one layer off and there's another, he said. <laughs> oh, listen to me tonight. You willing to say to him, lock, stock, a bear? I mean, live or die, sink or swim. Search me. David has got a broken heart. David is open before God. David is confessing, if you please. David is guarding his heart. At least the text I'm using tonight, Solomon says, guard your heart. And if we're going to keep the endeavor to keep this kind of heart, I must keep out the opposite. And that's that hardness, that self-will. The New Testament expression of this, he says, be you kind, tenderhearted. There it is. The opposite of a hard heart in the New Testament is a tender heart and it expresses itself. Tender hardness issues out. Be you kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Oh, if you're struggling with forgiving someone tonight, you don't have a broken heart. You still need some brokenness within. You still need some a work of the Spirit because as long as I, I, I'm filled with self-will and, and I have to be right and guarding myself and not willing to forgive and, and there is bitterness, ill-will, self-will, that is telltale on me. There is no brokenness. Brokenness just, just comes before God and just says, quit trying to save face. But as it were, if we have to lose face and just hit the dust of humility and said, oh God. I've sinned. I've never read about a revival. I've never been around where we had a spiritual awakening unless it was preceded with this right here. Never have. You read anyone, any you want to, and it may not be apparent at first, but when you begin to search and discover the origin of it, you'll find that someone got hungry, got honest, got open, and they got broken before God and live or die, Lord. we got to have you to come through. 
As the preacher said, they can look back and say, right there is where it happened. I was taken to a place and preacher, I asked about whether it had revival. He said, why, we're in a few miles of it. He said, would you like to go there? And I said, yes, I would. I've read about it. He said, uh, if he's around, I'll introduce you to someone that was there when it happened. And he said the truth about it, he probably won't tell you, but the truth is he was part of the nucleus, probably the first four or five that got hungry for God. I met a dear man of God. Talk about such a gracious, kind, spirit-filled, aware of God's presence when he talked to you. Aged man now. I said, tell me about it. <laughs> His voice quivers emotion. He said, oh, I wouldn't be able to do that. <laughs> I couldn't tell you all about it. I said, how did it get started? He said, really, I, I guess it got started in the heart of a few people. Here's the way he put it. They got sick of business as usual. We'd read about how God used to come through. And we decided that since he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, he can do it again. The man that preached in that meeting, I had him to speak in one service on prayer in our church. He was aged then. He's been with the Lord now a few years. He told a little bit about it. He said with that rough, gravelly, worn-out voice of his, he said, I went there for a five-day meeting. <laughs> he said, five weeks later, I left. <laughs> and said, it was still on when I left. <laughs> he said, that wore me out. I had to go home a while. <laughs> the preacher I was with that asked him about it, one of the most beautiful buildings I ever speak in, uh, he, I asked him about it and he said, do I know about it? And his eyes moistened up. He said, I was a town drunk when that happened and God got me through that meeting. <laughs> Revival. It starts in a man's heart. Starts with brokenness, openness, honesty, humility. Call it by its right name, not blaming circumstances or anybody else. Just start Identifying who you are and where you are. Call yourself by your right name. David tells me tonight, if I'm going to guard my heart, I need to keep out hardness. I need to keep a broken heart. The psalmist in 112. 112, it's a very insightful, helpful psalm. I have an entire message on. I didn't want to tell you to start with. I've got a message on all five of these points tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I was afraid you wouldn't listen to him if I told you I had a series of messages before me. So I'm not going to preach them all. I'm just going to mention two or three of them. But I sometimes in a Bible conference, I speak five mornings on the right kind of heart. And the first kind of heart we ought to endeavor to keep is a broken heart. Keep out the opposite. Keep out hardness. Psalm 112 verse 7 is a summary verse about this rather remarkable person. Verse 7 of Psalm 112 talks about him. It says, he, this person of the psalm, he shall not be afraid of evil tidings. Most of us are. Evil's bad. Tidings are news. Most of us are afraid of bad news. <laughs> Hadn't happened yet, but some we anticipated. Amen. <laughs> we can't enjoy. One man said to me, the average person, we're so, so anticipate bad news. We can't enjoy today. We're afraid what might happen tomorrow. <laughs> 
But here's a fellow, he's not, he's not bothered with that. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. Why? Said his heart's fixed. How to get it fixed? He tells us, trusting in the Lord. <laughs> he said his heart's established. That's the same word, same idea. Stability about him. He shall not be afraid. Not only a broken heart, I need to keep a believing heart. Trusting heart. Heart that's centered on him, he keepeth me in perfect peace. Whose mind or whose heart is trusting, stayed, looking to him. And here's one here. Oh, I said to the Lord this afternoon, Lord, how I need you to help me to walk guard on my heart. Keep out hardness and keep a broken heart. I came to this verse and I said to him, Lord, you know me better than I know me, but oh, how, how prone we are to let the opposite of trust and faith and to have a believing heart. What am I to keep out? I'm to keep out not only hardness, but I'm to keep out fearfulness. Fear and faith cannot reside in the same heart at the same time. So I read that scripture in Luke chapter 12 tonight. He concluded it by saying, fear not. He's given these verses to encourage them to keep fear out of their heart. He said, fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Lord just talked about a man who felt like, you know, he had goods laid up for many years. There's his retirement, and he's sure of it, he thinks. Why, he said, I'm going I'm to have a lavish, a lavish lifestyle. I'm, I'm going to say to my soul, I, I can take it easy now. I can eat and drink, and I can be merry. But here's a man, foolishly. I got a sermon from that text where God said, Thou fool. I talk about the philosophy of foolishness. What goes into making up this business of, of becoming a fool before God? What kind of thinking involves uh, foolish thinking as God points it out in this scripture? But our Lord picked up on that and said to his own, he said, now let me talk to you about anxiety, about worry, about fear. Now that gets in the heart. You listen to him. I was preaching over in St. Louis where the Lord willing I'll start Sunday night. And I'll be 50 miles from St. Louis, but if you're 50 miles that area, they refer to it as St. Louis. And I've been going over there 30 years in that general area. I was preaching, I have an entire sermon from this scripture out of Matthew's account. Dear man said, after service, Brother Hurts, you didn't preach tonight. You quit preaching. You went to meddling tonight. <laughs> well, I, I relate to that. I already said to you, yeah, I talk, talking where we live tonight. If we're not careful, we lose focus of Him. We lose focus of our trust in Him. And we begin to look at circumstances. And oftentimes, you know, circumstances can become threatening to us. They're overwhelming to us. How are we going to meet this need? And how are we going to get through this problem? What are we going to do here? I mean, if it hadn't happened yet, we're afraid it may happen to us. And evil tidings, bad news disturbs us. At least the possibility they, that could come. And here's the Lord. I mean, he picks up on that subject. And he's not talking to pagans here. He's talking to his own about them quit behaving like heathen nations, like pagan people that don't have a heavenly father. Oh, he's so tender with them. As you notice, he's not, uh, he's not scolding them. He just begins to say to them, have you ever noticed uh, nature around you? Do you ever look at the flowers out there in the field? Do you ever look up at the fowl in the heaven? 
Said your father takes care of them birds up there. <laughs> Said your father that dressed up that little wild lily, Solomon with his magnificent wardrobe. He couldn't dress up with the beauty of that little wild flower. And it's so temporary. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. He said, it's your father doing that. <laughs> you see what he's doing? He's saying, now if you're going to overcome this fearfulness that keeps us from having a believing heart, a trusting heart, a heart of faith, he said, you'll have to be aware that your father cares about you. And you'll have to trust your father's care. Well, he said, that little bird, they don't sow. They don't reap. They don't misread what he's saying. He's not against sowing and reaping. Of course not. That's how you exist. <laughs> not saying it's wrong to work. He just simply says that bird doesn't, that little bird is not created in the image of God. That bird doesn't have the intelligence of a human. And he said that little, that little bird doesn't have a storehouse. It don't go out and sow and reap it and put it in the storehouse. God feeds them. You're creating God's image. You're much more important than they are. He said that little lily, he said they don't toil. They toil not. They spin not. Now, he's not saying it's wrong to toil. Some people worked at spinning, weaving their clothes. But that's not how that little lily got its dress. He said that little lily didn't go over there and weave its own fabric, make its dress and spin it. To... No. Some of you know Brother Reuben Fields. He's a dear black pastor in Indianapolis. Brother Fields and I preached together in conferences. He can say some good stuff. <laughs> he says some things that I, I'd, I'd think myself, I wish I'd have thought of that. Amen. <laughs> One day he's talking to us and he said, uh, he's talking about this text here. And, and he said, there's a whole lot of different types of Baptist folk. And he began to name the different Baptist groups. Uh, but he said, uh, there's then the Lily Baptists. <laughs> and uh, he said, I know some of you looking at me like you've never heard of them. He said, oh, you got them in your church. I got some in my church. He said, they don't toil and they don't spin. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> oh, you listen to me a moment. I'll close you in a minute tonight. You want to guard your heart and keep out hardness? Keep that attitude of brokenness and openness and humility before God. Guard your heart and keep out anxiety, fear, worry. That thing that wants to pull you apart. The Bible says fear hath torment. Idea behind that is to be pulled in different directions. Take a cord and wrap it around your neck, around my neck. Someone pull, bow. you're distracted. You, there's no stability. There's no peace. Oh, instead of having an established life and a heart and having poise and assurance, everything's all right. We just toss to and fro. Anxiety, fear. And our Lord said after saying this, Fear not, little flock. Your Father finds great good pleasure. Not only putting you in the kingdom, but giving you that which is necessary in the kingdom. Trust your Father. There's two others in Paul's writing. One of them is in the book of Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter number 6, he brings a heart before us. I won't go into any detail here, just mention this. But he says, oh, you Corinthians. Verse 11. Our heart is open unto you. Excuse me, our mouth is open unto you. 
Our heart is enlarged. I've talked about a broken heart. I've talked about a believing heart. Here for our outline's sake, I call it a bigger heart. Notice what Paul is saying. They've been a, Paul is in defense of who he is, his credentials, his apostle. People against him had sowed some evil reports about him and some people that's his children in the faith, really. And they're suspicious of him and he has to defend himself. And, and they're really, in the, at this particular time, if you understand what he's saying, they were bringing accusation against Paul. He's an apostle, but here he is saying to him, they, Paul was being accused, at least in their mind, folks had slandered him and said, Paul hadn't told you the whole story. He's holding back. And Paul said, no, no, our mouth is open. We hadn't kept back anything. They've been told Paul doesn't really care for you. He doesn't have any room in his heart. There's no, no, in his affections, he don't care about you. He's exploiting you. He uses you. This apostle writing back on the inspiration of the Spirit and says to him, we're not keeping back anything. We've told you the whole story. And our heart's open. Our heart is enlarged. Notice how he, what he means in verse 12. You're not straightened. That means you're not confined. You put someone in a straitjacket, you've confined them. You've limited them. He said, you're not straightened in us. But you're straightened in your own bowels, your own affections, your own heart he's talking about. Now for a recompense in the same, he says, I speak to my children. Be you also enlarged. He's saying, find some room in your heart for us. Paul writing concerning himself and others, he said, you, you open your heart. Our heart's enlarged. Our heart is, is open. Our heart is, our heart tonight, Paul is saying to them, he said, it's not, you're not limited. You're not confined. There's room for you in our hearts. Let me ask you a question. What's your response to people that mistreat you? People that malign you? People that set out to hurt you? A wise man told me in my early pastorate, as I was looking for staff members, he helped me much. He said, let me tell you how to evaluate a man's character. And among the things he told me, he said, watch how he responds to those that Set out to hurt him. See what his response is back. You know what he was talking about? He was talking about, I looked up the word, a man wrote me a note and I'd asked him this question and I said, what am I to expect? I didn't know the preacher. I knew he'd been preaching for him. I said, just tell me, what am I to expect? What, I, what am I to look forward to? He wrote back and he underscored it and he said, oh, you'll find, he put his name, you'll find he's a big hearted brother. After I got there, you say, Brother Hurt, what do you mean, big heart? Well, the dictionary says someone generous. Someone has a giving heart. Someone has a forgiving heart. I've talked about a broken heart, a believing heart. We've talked about tonight a bigger heart. Look what Paul... Chapter number 10. Romans 9 and 10. Chapter 10 and verse 1, he said, My heart's desire, there's his heart. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is they might be saved. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not in my conscience, also bear me witness in the Holy Ghost. I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. 
What kind of heart's Paul talking about? David talked about a broken heart. The psalmist talked about a believing heart. Paul wrote to those Corinthians and talked about a bigger heart. Here he talks about a burdened heart for souls tonight. A concern. I heard a man preach from that text in the entirety of his sermon. A concern that burns. What a message. Preacher and I was talking today and a young pastor friend at the table and I was referring to some of those earlier days. I made reference to Sicko in the ministry. I went back, Pastor, to the room with some of that on my heart. Some of the things that I was talking about there, I said, if we're not careful, we get away from. One of the things God reminded me that seemed we're so prone to get away from is that burden for souls. I wonder tonight how long it's been since we could honestly before God, I'm talking about looking at her heart, that we could honestly say that there is genuine concern. There is a burden. There is a compassion in our heart for the soul, for someone's salvation. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. All over the room tonight, God's Spirit is, He's free in this meeting this evening. He was so free in the music. He's not being fettered, not being hindered. He's not being hampered. He said something to my heart this afternoon. I'm being honest with you. I picked up on our young brother's prayer tonight when he came to the platform and led us in prayer. When our young pastor brother said, Lord, speak to my heart. When he asked God to let us have an open heart, he had no idea, of course, I'd be talking about coming before God with openness. That's in essence what God wanted me to say tonight. Brokenness. Humility. Honesty. Just come before him with that kind of openness. And God has said something to our hearts, some of us tonight. I'm going to be honest with you. When the pastor comes, I want to kneel here and just thank him for a a renewal he put in my needy heart even this afternoon. He gave me a deeper desire to try to guard that inner part. Keep out that wrong attitude. Keep in that which ought to be kept in. We do not meet him at those first Steps tonight, that last one won't be, oh, it'll be meaningless to us. If I don't keep out hardness, I'll never have a burden for the salvation of my loved ones, my friends, and those that need me to care about them. Our Father, would you make it easy right now for us to respond? Graciously meet with us. We, we could not do this on our own. We know that If we even have a desire, it comes from you. Enable us right now just to say yes, Lord. Seal this truth to us. Don't let it get away. And may we look back to this very evening to where something started in our heart.
Forgive us, Lord, when we've been hard and unforgiving and self-centered. Forgive us, Lord, when we've been so full of fear and worry and anxiety, our faith been so small. Forgive us, Lord, when our hearts have not been open to other people. Someone been a little unkind, we crowd them out, we have no time for them. We have no place anymore in our affection, our heart for someone that don't like us and someone that's uh, been against us. Help us to treat people like you treat them. And then our Father... Oh, how we need you to help us with a burden for souls. Forgive us, Lord, for becoming so cold and callous. Help us to feel and see and sense as you do. Share that heart with us, please. Lord, we know people around us are never, they'll never hear from you unless they hear from us, uh, from you through us. That's how you reach people. And I pray you give us that kind of heart to care for people. Seal this to our needy hearts tonight. Amen. Stand with us, please. The preacher's here. Don't miss God tonight.